Good morning, everybody. Good. I'm glad to be with you. I got, uh, I got to be taught last week, which was fantastic. Thank you, Mike, for leading us and teaching us. And today I have the honor of, of sharing the teaching load with a, with a good friend, and I'll bring her up in just a few moments. We're continuing the series known as Live by the Spirit, which is us walking through what it means when we say we want to grow to look more like Jesus together. Since we stress sanctification, the idea of spiritual growth, we stress it so much. We want to make sure that we even did a series constantly defining what this means and what this looks like. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, which we know from Galatians, the book of Galatians, telling them in chapter 5 in particular that because they've been redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ and have received the promised Holy Spirit, that they no longer have to walk and be led by their flesh. But now they have the opportunity to be led by the Spirit of God, the Spirit who makes us holy, the Spirit who convicts and comforts, which is evidenced by our growth in the fruit of the Spirit, which is a holistic evidence by our continued pursuit of Jesus that is demonstrated by our spiritual growth, specifically in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today, we will be tackling this attribute of the fruit of the Spirit known as faithfulness. I've heard some people say that the way Paul describes the fruit of the Spirit, that there is this order to the list that he says, and I'm not really sure if that's true, but here's what I do know about the virtues and the attitudes that are in the fruit of the Spirit, that they're aggregate, that they are holistic, that combined they are evidence of the fruit of the Spirit fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit, that God grows us to look more like Him as we grow in our love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, gentleness, and so on. And as we grow in these things, we start to look more and more like Jesus. Faithfulness is a word that has always been said around me. Young man, I heard about the idea of faithfulness, but to be honest, it's a word that's been lost on me for decades. Faithful means to remain Faithful means to remain continuously. And I didn't understand how a consistent life would make a difference in my own life and the way that I connected with other people in particular. See, I don't want to live a life faithful to God to earn anything. But I want to live a life faithful to God to look more like Jesus. More like Jesus. And I can't do anything, if you know me, I can't do anything just a little bit. You guys know that about me, if you know me? I always have to be totally in. I used to, I rode a bicycle once, and then I decided I wanted to race road bikes, and then 12 bicycles later, I was into racing. And that's just kind of how I've lived my life. I jump fully in. And so back when I was seven years of age, I went to the cinematic film known as American Ninja One. Anyone? Michael Dudikoff? Anybody? No? Oh, this movie was wonderful. And here's what happened when I went to the movie. I go to the movie with a rubber ninja mask on. And as my, my mom and I walk into the movie theater, I have this rubber ninja mask. I have my rubber ninja sword, my rubber ninja uh, nunchucks. I had my ninja pajamas on. And I walk into the movie theater. If you ever want to know what I look like as a kid, just look at Boston. It's exactly the same. 
And so as I'm walking into the movie theater, I remember I'm seven years old. My mom's holding my hand. We're walking in. I don't even realize that I look silly. And this guy starts laughing at me. And my mom looks right at him and goes, he's a ninja. Stop laughing. (laughs) I was a big Laker fan growing up until Kobe ruined that. And I loved watching the Lakers when I was a kid, and I would hang out watching them at my stepdad's house where he put a basketball rim in the backyard and there was cement, and I would go play in between, you know, the timeouts and the high fives of missed free throws. And I would, I would go play in the backyard and spend time, but here's how I would dress when I would watch a Laker game. I had my Laker Converse. I had my Laker-colored socks that I pulled up to my knee. I had my Laker shorts. I had my Laker Magic Johnson jersey. I had a Laker hat on backwards. And this is how I would watch a basketball game. You know why? Because I wanted to be a part of what was happening. I wanted to experience what was happening. And I want to be like those that I follow. And I want to look more like them. But I also have this human nature that combats me being consistent. My human nature wants and helps me actually be inconsistent. And inconsistency, church, is the enemy of faithfulness. Inconsistency is the enemy of faithfulness. So here's my question for you. Is Jesus a fad in your life? Or is he your life? Is Jesus just trending? Or is he master over you? Because faithfulness, remaining it displaces and replaces fads. Because a fad doesn't require the Holy Spirit. It didn't require the Holy Spirit for me to dress up like Magic Johnson or a ninja. But the faithfulness to be consistent because we're pursuing Jesus requires the Holy Spirit. About six years ago, my wife and I, and some of you have experienced this, we were traveling from church to church, and I was teaching a thing called Compelled, which is an evangelism training. And we would go into a church, and we would have it all fixed up, and we'd have slides, and we'd check people in, and we'd put you in a database, and we would connect with people and teach them not just evangelism, but what it looks like to be a Christian what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it looks like to put our faith into action. And my wife and I would travel to different churches all throughout the Bay Area in particular. And people would take God's word and they would put it into practice and they would share it with others and they would answer questions that people were actually asking. And we saw disciples starting to be made all over the Bay Area. But this four to six week training, it started to create an unfair expectation that we had on Christians. Because we would blow in, blow up, blow out, and then we'd move on to the next church where people would get excited, and then we'd be sharing with us stories of how God had changed them months and years later. But let's just be honest. For many, the excitement wore off because our human nature is to move on to the next conference, right? To move on to the next camp, the next mission trip, the next mountaintop experience, And I want to take you to a verse that's within a passage that I studied this week that may shed some biblical light on this epidemic where people start to treat their faith like a fad. This passage is one that I actually got to study with some of our worship leaders and others in the church. And Paul the Apostle, the one who writes the book of Galatians, the one who writes the book of Ephesians, which we studied last year, he is handcuffed to a guard on house arrest writing this letter to the church in Rome about what your Christian life ought to look like. 
But he also says something that I don't want any of us to miss. So we're just going to go to one verse in this. So stay in Matthew 25, but we're just going to go to Romans 12 for just a moment. Verse 11. He's in the middle of talking about what it looks like for the Christians who have God's love and understand God's love to give God's love. And he says this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Paul writes in the middle of an exhortation of what a a Roman believer ought to do if they have the love of God in them. And he writes this because he knows that a lot of us have mountaintop experiences spiritually. Do you guys know what I'm talking about with a mountaintop experience? You've gone to a camp. You've gone on a mission trip. And you come back and you're like, wah, 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 right? Like that's what it's like because you've left this context where it was exciting. And as you come back down the mountain, you start to realize that regular life doesn't seem to have fervor for God. It's not the same. Unfortunately, this isn't a new thing. This is a human thing. And fervor and excitement taper off. But it's not because God isn't as close or as good. It's because we tend to lose focus and passion without effort. We tend to lose focus and passion without effort, putting in effort to actually follow and obey what God has to say. One of my favorite anecdotes is the fact that ever since I started doing ministry, people have come to me and they've said, Tim, I don't feel close to God. So I have a laundry list of questions I tend to ask after I hear this statement. I don't feel close to God. I ask this question. I say, are you reading God's word on your own and putting it into practice? No. Okay. Are you spending time in prayer, uh, communing with God? No. Okay. Are you with God's people in a church capacity context where you are held accountable and you're running with examples of people following Jesus? No. I have no idea why you don't feel close to God. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. That's sarcasm for those of you that that was lost on. But Paul gives us a big hint. Paul gives us the secret sauce, if you will, and the answer to our spiritual spasticness. He says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the who? Lord. He doesn't say serving. Oh, you're going to be passionate if you just serve. He says serving the Lord, putting time into the Lord, doing what the Lord would have you do. And too often we get so caught up in doing things we think we must do rather than who we ought to be doing them for. So if you're serving in this church, I need, as your pastor, I need to tell you this, like, I don't want you to burn out. I don't want you to put in so much time and effort serving man and not God and burn out. Truly, we can strip our worship services. We can do less ministry. We can, there are things that we can do and events we cannot do if people are burning out. Because we don't want you to reach capacity in such a way that you then get to the point where you stop doing ministry altogether because you've gone too far. But listen, most of us have no idea what our capacity is because we're too afraid to try stuff, or we're too easily quick to say one of the silliest statements I've ever heard, well, that isn't my gift. You know, being gracious isn't my gift, but I still got to do it. And so sometimes the Lord asks us to do things that are right outside of what we can do in our own strength to grow us to look more like Jesus. Crazy. What a great formula that God uses. 
But the secret sauce, it's to serve the Lord, not man. It's to serve King Jesus King, not your ministry director. It is to serve Christ Almighty, not your pastor. Because when your service is devoted to Jesus Christ, you grow. When your service is devoted to Christ, you have zeal. Your fervor does not subside unless you take your eyes off of the prize, and the prize is not an it, it's a who. Focusing on our continued pursuit to be with and like Jesus is far more fulfilling than attempting to pay him back for our salvation. You know what I'm talking about? So I'm giving you baby steps. But here's the thing. You guys could leave this place all motivated. This is not a one and done. This is a continued lifestyle to put into practice what God is asking you to do. But who are you serving? Are you serving man or are you serving Jesus? Because if you do what I tell you to do, you won't necessarily grow. But if you do what Jesus tells you to do from God's word, maybe even through my mouth because I'm teaching it to you, if you are serving the Lord, I guarantee you, you will grow. And so I have the great honor today of introducing you. Many of you already know her, but she's a dear friend. She's a co-laborer. She's one of the most godly women I know. And she is a communicator, and she is someone that I want to be able to tell from firsthand experience how she's experienced faithfulness in her life, how she's been faithful, which she isn't going to brag on, but she's going to brag on the fact that God is faithful in her life. And so would you guys please welcome up Karen Miller. All right. Good morning, everybody. Um, good to see you. I have been asked this morning to share about how God is encouraging me to live a life of faith and how he is teaching me to be more and more faithful, to love him and to love the people he puts in my path in the specific ways that he calls. And actually, it's been super fun to think about, like, how does God cultivate that faithfulness in us? How do we go from that mountaintop high and then nothing to a steady faith that lived day in and day out? Um, early on in our marriage, God gave me a verse that continues to comfort me whenever asked, God asks me and Mike to do something new. And we're currently in one of those seasons. It's Isaiah 42, 16. It says, I will lead the blind by ways they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. Praise God. God's faithfulness to us always looks like promises kept. Darkness turns to light. Rough places are made smooth. He is always with us, and he never leaves us. Right? That's great news. But what does our faithfulness to him look like? It is more than just being loyal. Right? Faithfulness requires us to live a life of faith. Trusting God at his word, doing the things he asks us to do, loving him and loving others well. And it's not just going through the motions. We can so easily, right, check the box. Okay, we did the things Tim talked about, but our heart is far away from him. That is not faithfulness. All right, well, how many of you know that when God asks us to step out in faith, 
He often shows us kind of that first thing, but we don't get to see the whole big picture. So we get to be obedient to the first thing and then trust God to reveal the next thing in his perfect time. Okay, so back up seven years ago, God asked Mike and I to step out in faith in a couple of different ways. So for me, when our daughter was in first grade, he asked me to do something very spiritual. He asked me to substitute teach. <laughs> Ooh, exactly. Now, I had been a fifth grade teacher for six years before I was a stay-at-home mom, so this was in my wheelhouse, but I was retired. I was done. I had moved on. I had no desire to go back into public school teaching. Um, but the prompting remained, and I could not ignore it. And you should know that the first time I went into teaching, that felt very scary to me. And so I had become a Jonah running away from the very thing that God wanted to actually bless me with. And at that time, I wasn't swallowed up by a big fish, but I was definitely swallowed up in fear. Um, and it did not go well for me. So this time, when God asked me to teach again, I picked up the phone and literally five minutes my credential was updated and i could move forward and i got into the subsystem and again this seemed like a very odd i was in ministry i was leading ministry this did not feel like a kim kingdom impacting assignment and when you have little kids who pull on your shirt and say mrs miller he touched my pencil then you're like <laughs> okay well but when i did ask god like um what am I doing here? And I felt like he said, I want to teach you to love people, even that little Jimmy, right, just for the day, and care about him. And that was a good exercise of faith. All right, so what's one way God cultivates faithfulness in us? We learn from our unfaithfulness. Tim's going to talk about it. We fail forward. We realize that not following God's lead doesn't actually go very well for us. And we resolve to ask God to meet us in our fears and in our failures and help us to be more faithful. So I want to ask you this morning, is there anything that God's asked you to do that you're not doing? And that could just be being in his word or prayer or some of those things or a specific assignment. But, um, and if that's true, would you go to God and ask him for the courage to be obedient? All right, well, so around that same time, Mike felt led to start seminary. If you were here last week, you heard a little bit about that. Um, and we really weren't sure where that would lead, but we did know it was the right next step. And we did count the costs as much as we could, literally, financially, emotionally, time, all of that. Um, but you never really know what you're getting to until you take that step of faith. And so now, six, seven years later, literally feels like hundreds of books to me and endless papers and truckloads of time. Um, and God has sustained us. And I want to say it has been very fun to watch Mike grow more passionate for Jesus and for the gospel during that time. It's been a blessing to our family. Um, so thankfully, we serve a God who is faithful to complete those good works that he begins in us. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, so now we're three years into seminary, 
And Mike real and I realized that if he was going to move into ministry, we would need to figure out how to afford to live in this super crazy expensive Bay Area, right? And he wouldn't have his high-tech salary. And we did feel called to the Bay Area. So um, at that time, I worked three jobs. I made a total of anywhere between $500 and $800 a month. Woo! Yes, we often joked about my paycheck being kind of pathetic. Um, but so, like, what are we going to do? So we looked at several options, prayed about it, and decided that maybe God might open a door for me to move back into full-time public school teaching. Again, not the assignment I was looking for, but we did start praying about it. And around that time, I got an email from a friend of mine, and she said, hey, Karen, I'm going on maternity leave. I've got a six-month long-term sub-job at a middle school. Do you want it? And my first answer was, not really. <laughs> I don't know if I like middle schoolers. It was kind of far away. It didn't work with our family. It was out of my comfort zone. But we prayed about it, and life of faith means you step out in those things. And so I took that job. And what I discovered is that I love middle schoolers. Like, it's a super fun age, and they give me a lot of joy. And I, who knew? Like, I didn't know that about myself. So that was a good discovery. So sometimes God builds faithfulness in us by giving us assignment. And as we obey, we get those immediate benefits of joy and peace and discovering who God made us to be, right? All right. Well, shortly after I started that long-term sub-job, I went to the county office. I needed two more units to get a math credential, and now I knew I wanted to teach middle school, so I needed that single subject. I took a course, I got credentialed, and literally two weeks later, I got a job in Cupertino teaching math to middle schoolers. So you can see God just keeps opening doors for me in that way. Now, at that time, the timing seemed weird because Mike wasn't really ready to shift careers yet. He was still in the middle of seminary. Um, but I can tell you now that Cupertino is in the middle of a hiring freeze. There's declining enrollment. There are no jobs. And so I see that his timing was perfect, right? We can't know those things. All right. Well, while the process of getting that job felt very God-led, I had no idea how difficult that transition would be for me. Uh, prior to that job and the long-term sub-job, I had been on staff at another church as director of discipleship. And I loved that job. That job was super fun, right? I got to disciple people. I got to lead Bible studies. I got to organize ministries. And it wasn't always easy. There were definitely hard things about it, but it was very fulfilling. And um, I was going to miss it, and I did miss it. So um, what do you do with that? <laughs> what do you do with that? Uh, not only did I miss that, I love the kids, I love teaching, but connecting with other people on staff at my school was really difficult. They didn't want to talk about God. And I didn't really know what to say to them, and I felt very lonely and isolated. So I had moved into teaching so Mike could move into ministry, and I was happy to lay down my life for him because he had done that for me for well over a decade. But what, what about me? 
God had said my new school would be a mission field, and people were all excited, yay, you're in a mission field, and I just couldn't see much evidence of that. Um, so I've ended up feeling very much like a middle schooler who was looking for a friend and couldn't find one, which is a sad place to be. And on top of that, I missed being more available for my own children and uh, being able to be more a part of their lives. So initially, I had a lot of questions for God and not a lot of answers. How could I be faithful to God's call on my life and be faithful to ministry, to loving my family, to loving my friends? Um, was I supposed to use my spiritual gifts during this time? And we're talking about faithfulness, or should I take a year off? What do I do with that? And what does faithfulness look like when we enter into these new seasons of our lives? Right? That's a big question. Right? Well, I had decided that first year of teaching, I would teach a Bible study on 2 Timothy, and I think that was on purpose. God put it in my life because he highlighted two very important verses for me. So the first one was 2 Timothy 1.6, which says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. And then the second one is 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, and it says this, I give you this charge, this is to me, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. I was out of season, but I was called to teach the word. And as I did that, and I continued to lead Bible studies, that was the thing that held me accountable, like Tim was talking about, to stay in the Word, stay in my relationship with God. And while there, you'll find out in a second wasn't perfect, um, it really proved to be my lifeline. But I want to tell you about the not perfect part, because that first year back felt like survival. And it was, I was teaching a subject, geometry, which I hadn't studied in 30 years, so I had to relearn it. I didn't, technology has changed. Like, there was so, it was very overwhelming, right? It was physically exhausting. It was emotionally exhausting. Come home, trying to parent my kids, try to love Mike. And by, like, 7 o'clock, I'm done. Like, I got, I got nothing left to give anybody. And so we had some good Netflix shows we like to watch, and we'd keep you know, watching them, kind of binge-watching. And what happened with that is then I ended up staying up too late. Now I can't get up early and have some good time with God before I have to be at work. It was 7, right? And so um, while I'm being faithful to my job, I'm being faithful to lead a Bible study, which was helpful, but um, didn't feel really faithful to much else. So what do we do when we've stepped out in faith and life gets harder, it gets overwhelming, or we try a new group and we can't connect, like all of those things? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to go to God. We need to cling to him. We need to be reminded of his promises, cling to his character, and abide in his life-giving word, right? And out of that, we can make some better decisions. So if you are in that season, I want to encourage you just to, to be with him, pray to him, cry out to him, and some, spend some time with him. So thankfully, God is faithful to sustain us in the desert. 
for the last month or two of my first year back teaching, God actually woke me up in the middle of the night every single night um, to spend time with him. He was faithful to me when I was not being particularly faithful, and he was pursuing me. And I want to tell you that those hours in the middle of the night were so impactful. I grieved losses. I cried. I um, got comfort from his word. I got God's perspective on a bunch of things that I didn't quite understand. I was reminded of his character. And uh, that was just a really beautiful time for me. One particular verse that was very meaningful to me was Isaiah 49, 9 through 10. And it goes like this. It says, Say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. They will feed besides the roads and find pastures on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. I was on a barren hill. And only God could lead me to springs of water. And he continually reminded me that he would fill me up. And over time, I don't know if this makes sense, but instead of being motivated by my neediness, like, will you be my friend? Will you be my friend? I was motivated by God's love. Oh, you're in my path and God wants me to love you, so I'm going to try to do that to the best of my ability. And I then could let God determine the outcome. So just to give you a, a quick picture, one day I was at school and we had a staff lunch and people were all over the place. So I tried to sit with this one group. And I sit down and I'm trying to have a conversation. They're being polite, but they were really good friends and they clearly didn't want me there, right? And so the conversation's kind of awkward. And normally I would have left that feeling fairly discouraged. But I left and I'm like, man, going to have to have a lot of awkward conversations. Yep. And that's okay. And, you know, let's, let's go. Let's have the, you know, let's see where God's going to connect me and be Jesus at my school site. Right. Um, so one last little bit here. Last August, one year after I started my new job, so a lot of transition, uh, God led Mike and I uh, to move from our church of 17 years to come to COV. Now, this was a huge deal for me, right? As, if you remember what Ruth said, I had been on staff. I was really well known there. It was my family, and it felt painful, but it was clear it was the right thing to do, and sometimes it still feels painful. But what I learned the year before, I could now put into practice at Church of the Valley. God was really going ahead of me and preparing my heart. So he was teaching me to be faithful, to cultivate my relationships with my faithful and loving Lord. He was teaching me to be faithful, to love the people he puts in front of me, not perfectly, but to the best of my ability. He's teaching me to be faithful, to be obedient to those things he puts specifically on my heart, and to be a good steward of the talents, times, treasures, graces that he has given me. And he was teaching me to be faithful to God and not necessarily to the expectations of others. I can tell you at a school site, they have a thousand things that you can do after school. 
and that could secure your job, right? And I had to decide, am I going to do this or that? Um, so that was important. And then lastly, don't expect others to meet my needs necessarily, but trust God to meet my needs as I attempt to meet the needs of others. So since I've been here, it's been interesting. God has asked me to do a variety of things at COV. I've led a community group. I've led a Bible study. I got to host a young adults group, currently leading a summer study, different things he's put on my heart. Um, and each assignment was a little bit unexpected and did require me to really lay down my life, my you know, just surrender to whatever he had for me. Um, but each assignment has been a complete blessing and an opportunity for growth. And I have met many, many of you in this room, many wonderful people here, really, who have just blessed me and given me a lot of joy, and I have appreciated that. And it turns out that I haven't been benched after all. God still has work for me where I work at school and work for me here, and that gives me great joy. So thank you. Thank you, Karen. Uh, knowing the Millers for close to a decade as I have, I've, I've seen God do a work in both of them. And, and when Karen and Mike were going through the, the, I guess, the interview to become members of the church, I, I made the statement in front of everyone there, but I want to make it in front of you. Um, Karen's one of those people that, as a pastor, I am beyond honored to be her pastor. Because I know in a lot of ways she's significantly higher capacity than I am and, and gifted. And if I ever say anything that's a little bit off, she'll, she'll be right there. She'll be right here, you know. And, and we need people like Karen in the church of Jesus Christ. So thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. Matthew chapter 25. We're going to walk through this parable that Scott read. Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is speaking to the disciples and they've had the Pharisees, the, the religious people, trying to call out Jesus and call out the disciples for doing things wrong. And he, Jesus is on the way to the cross. This is not going to end up being good for him, but it's great for us. And he's talking to his disciples, and he's talking about what the kingdom of God is like. A lot of times we think this is just heaven because Matthew even uh, quotes it as the kingdom of heaven because he had reverence and didn't want to say the kingdom of God. But this isn't just heaven when we die. This is eternal life now. And the kingdom of God is now here. And here's what Jesus says it's like. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So Jesus is telling this parable. He's telling this analogy, this story that will compare what the kingdom is like in a narrative. And he uses this example of gold bags. In some translations, he uses silver bags. In other translations, he uses talents. And a talent was a measure of weight, not a specific coin, but a talent of gold was more valuable than a, a talent of silver, and a talent of silver was more important than just grain. And so, but here's the point, with different translations or different words for what the thing was, the amount doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's gold, it doesn't matter if it's silver, it doesn't matter if it's grain. The point is that God entrusted his wealth to his people. 
that the master entrusted his wealth to his servants. Verse 16, the man who had received the five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and got, gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more, but the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Uh Uh-oh. And Jesus explains that there were three different people with three different amounts, and there were two who did what God asked or the master asked and one who did not. Verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Gold star. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man who had had two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Now we have these two who had been faithful. They had been obedient to do what was asked of them. They received a reward from the master because they did what was asked. But not only did they receive a reward, they received the same reward. Because the effectiveness of their investment was not what was most important. It was based on their willingness to be faithful or to be full of faith to the master. And it was this faithfulness that the master celebrates. It is this faithfulness that God celebrates. And the man who had five talents or five bags of gold and the one who had two talents or two sacks of gold had the same reward. So hear me. Reward is based on faithfulness, not results. Do you know what I'm saying? Reward is based on your faithfulness, not on your results. God is not about your effectiveness. He is about your faithfulness. So are you willing to be faithful? If this church, no, 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 not just this church. If the church of Jesus Christ could understand this, it would change everything. That God was about our, about our faithfulness, not our effectiveness, Because we would then stop trying to be more effective than Jesus. Because too many times we do try to be more effective than he is. We don't actually do what he says. We try to do things that he hasn't said. Jesus took 12 not-so-smart and refined men and walked with them day and night for three and a half years. And today, you have heard the gospel. You know that Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourself. You know that it is not by your effort you can have a relationship with God. It is because of God's grace that he gave to you in the Son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus was faithful to the Father to do everything that the Father ever asked of him every moment of his life, every moment of history, every moment of eternity. And he was perfect. And yet those disciples, at least 11 out of 12, were faithful to continue and to preach and to proclaim. So you now know the gospel that changes everything. See, we want to be about making much of Jesus. That's why we do this. That's why we're here. And the other day, and I, I want you to hear the point of this, not I don't want this to exalt any person but I received the greatest compliment I could ever receive as a pastor, in, I think. 
Because a man who I respect a ton, who was visiting here from out of the area because his family goes to this church, who has been a mentor to me, he's been a pastor, he's a denominational leader, he came to me and he walks up to me kind of like a father. And he takes me aside after the service and he says, Tim, I haven't been to a church service that exalted Jesus as much as this one in quite some time. And, and outside of the fact that I have so much respect for this man, just his words gave me so much courage, and it encouraged me so much. You know why? Because he reminded me that when we exalt Jesus, God will bring his people. We're not here to exalt man. We're not here to exalt the things that we can do. We're here to exalt Jesus Christ and him crucified, resurrected, and exalted. That's what we're about, church. And this was the greatest compliment I could ever receive, but I want us to be faithful in that as a church. Exalting Jesus, making much of Jesus rather than man, rather than trying to draw people with gimmicks and smoke machines and lights, we are going to put on display that Jesus is the Christ and God will bring those that he wants to bring. We will give him praise for the effectiveness he decides to give us because of the faithfulness that we put in, not the other way around. We are not going to try to be effective to draw God's people. We are going to exalt Jesus faithfully, and we're going to allow God to draw his people. Verse 24, Then the man who had received one bag of gold uh came to the master and said, I knew that you are a hard man, uh-oh, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid. And went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Verse 26, his master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put money, put my money on deposit with the bankers, so then I would have at least received back interest. So take the bag of gold from him, give it to the one who has ten bags, for whoever will be given more, they will have an abundance, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have, been t- even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wah, wah, wah. Let me, let me give you a principle. Those who waste opportunity, spiritual opportunity, spiritual gifts, waste the opportunity that you have are exposed as spiritual posers. I'm just going to tell you how it is. If we are unwilling to actually do something with what God has given us. I'm not just talking about your time, treasure, and talents. I'm talking about the fact that if you have been forgiven, you should be forgiving. If you've been invited into the kingdom, you should be inviting because we are a direct reflection of the gospel. We are a direct reflection of who Jesus is. And that's what we see in this third servant, someone who was unwilling to do something with the opportunity that was given to him. He was afraid to make a mistake. He was unwilling to take a risk in fear of failure. Hear me, it's okay to risk things. That's what faith looks like. That's what Karen talked about. It is okay to fail, but we need to fail forward. 
I stand before you today as the lead pastor of this church, not because I am incredibly gifted, not because I'm shiny, not because I'm effective. I stand before you because I've failed a lot and God has grown me through those failures. And I'm grateful for that. So don't be afraid to fail, but fail forward. So those who are faithful, what we see in this parable, those that are faithful are fruitful to some degree. And it is our faithfulness that God uses in us to make much of his name. See, faithfulness isn't something you can say. It's not something, oh, I am faithful. It's only something you can prove by your life. And ultimately, faithfulness is God's economy. Faithfulness is God's economy. For a lot of us, we want to do one thing for the Lord, or we do one thing for the Lord, and then we act as if the Lord is lucky to have us. We'll never say this, but this is how we act. But a consistent theme through Scripture is a faithfulness and perseverance that is tested through time and trial. So don't look to someone's effectiveness or their shininess. Look to someone's faithfulness, because that is something that the Spirit produces in His people. Last week, Mike taught. You know why? Because he's faithful. Today, Karen helped me teach. Why? Because she's faithful. Two weeks ago, Ruth helped me teach because she's faithful. These are things that we see in people, and it's not, oh, your rewards get to teach. No, no, no. I'm afraid that I'm not going to steward the gifts that have been given to this church through all of you all. And so I want to make sure that we are actually serving the Lord and not man. We are serving the Lord. We're not coming to church because we have to. We're coming to church because we get to corporately worship God, and there is something beautiful about that, and God put that into a command. And so we get to do that, and we get to use our gifts, and we get to make much of Jesus together, and people will start to see that we're different. The, word, the Bible in King James says that we're weird. I want to be weird for Jesus. How about you? Peculiar is the technical word, but I like weird. And being faithful means that we're good stewards of the time that we have, the treasure that we have, and the talents that we have. And throughout many, many uh, saints in the Lord, if you will, men and women who have followed Jesus for decades, one of the things many of them say at the end of their lives was most of them will say this, I wish I had spent more time with God in this life. So a lot of you are young in this room. Learn from their mistake. Invest in your relationship with God and be faithful to God before you're faithful to anyone else. Worship team, would you come on up? I recently read about an old man walking the beach at dawn who noticed a, another man ahead of him. He was a lot younger than him. And this young man was picking up starfishes and flinging them into the sea. The older man ran up to the younger man. He caught up to the youth, and he asked him what he was doing. And the answer was that the young man saw these stranded starfish, and he believed that if, if they were in the hot sun of the morning, that they would die. So he was taking them and throwing them in the water. The old man replied to him and said, but the beach goes on for miles and miles. There are millions of starfish. The young man looked at him, as the older man said, so what can your effort make of any difference? And the young man looked at him with a starfish in his hand, and as he threw it to safety in the water, he said, it makes a difference to that one. 
So you may hear faithful, and you may hear this idea of stewarding your gifts, your time, your treasure, your talents well, and you may go, oh my gosh, there's no way I can do all the things that I think God's asking me to do. Let me give you a principle that I live by. Do for one what you'd like to do for all. Do for one what you'd like to do for all. Start with that first starfish. Start with that first willingness to go, you know what, I can't invest in all the people that are in my life, but I can invest in one. Because I can guarantee you this church would be changed if that happened. I can guarantee you this community would be changed. This city would be changed. This state would be changed. Gosh, this country would be changed if people would do for one what they'd like to do for all.